It's funny because that day as well when I met you, I was like, shit, like this was meant to be. Because I wasn't like, I knew that I wasn't really in a good headspace. Like I was pretty like fragile. I was like really stressed about work and just like, you know, coming out of this thing. But I knew I was like, I just have to say yes to doing this podcast because I feel like by the time we do it, I'll be in a much better place. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. This episode is produced in partnership with Estee Lauder and it's a continuation of our Self-Care Sundays mini-series. I sit down with some of the brand's inspiring ambassadors and friends to have an honest conversation about their careers, businesses, life on the other side of the filter, fashion, beauty, and today, confidence. What does that word mean to women? And what does having more of it actually help us to achieve? So if you already adore following women like Pip Edwards and Eleanor Pendleton, Estee Lauder and I hope you enjoy getting to know them on a deeper level. You can find more episodes from our partnership in season three, four, and five. My next guest is one of Australia's most followed fashion creatives, Yan Yan Chan. Known for creating content that honors the intersection of fashion and culture, Yan has traditionally been quite guarded when it comes to opening up about her inner landscape and her private life. I realised that in her years of blogging and creating, we haven't actually learnt that much about the yan on the other side of the filter. That is, until now. In this very honest conversation, yan opens up about the importance of taking the time to look inward and ask questions, so we can make contact with our authenticity and our why. Like it was for so many, 2020 was a year of intense introspection for Yan, which included therapy, time with a healer, and a lot of time alone deciding what type of woman and creator she truly wanted to be. Through this self-work, Yan found her voice. She also shares the important role confidence plays when it comes to her mental health. We touch on the business of influencing, how to pitch to clients, leaning into advocacy and activism, navigating self-development while in relationship, tricky, and what she does to deepen her relationship to her Chinese heritage. I'm very thankful for her honesty and her trust. I hope you adore this honest conversation. Here's beautiful Yan and I for this special Self-Care Sundays episode in partnership with Estee Lauder. Well, let's kick off. Um, you were born in Hong Kong. Yes. But you spent a majority of your life in Australia. Yes. I wondered if you have memories from home and that time in your life because you're only little when you came here. Mm-hmm. So we came to Australia when I was six years old. Um, but I 
I actually have some pretty like vivid memories of my time in Hong Kong. Like there's definitely moments that I remembered when I was there. I think because I was so connected to, I guess, this sounds really weird, but I feel like most of my really like happy and pleasant memories of my childhood was when I was in Hong Kong. Hmm. So I think I kind of held on to those memories. Um, I think because also like when I moved to Australia, I was six years old. I didn't know how to speak English and like everything was like super foreign to me. So I think that was like the first time in my childhood where I didn't really feel, I don't want to say like safe, but like going to school was like, it was really scary. Do you know what I mean? Like I remember the first day of school in Australia in Sydney, I thought that my parents like abandoned me because I didn't understand why oh I was God. like <laughs> in this environment where like people were speaking to me and I didn't understand what they were saying. Like I still remember the first day of primary school. Like it was so traumatic. <laughs> I just remember Your like- poor mum must have found that so hard to leave you. Yeah. And I, and I really like now when I think back to it, like I do like really like like empathize, like I can like kind of like there's still moments I remember like even, you know, like the pickup time where like all the parents would pick up their kids. Like I would remember like now looking back onto it, I feel like I could feel how my mum would have felt being like someone who didn't as well at the time speak fluently in English. Mm, and probably had little to no social circle yeah. in terms of friends and yeah. support, mm-hmm. you know. Did they move here? Why did they move here? So my dad's side of the family, they had already moved here. They immigrated here um, I think like five years before we moved um, just for a better lifestyle, for a better life. Mm-hmm. Um, Hong Kong, like Hong Kong and China in general is like, you know, I think for – a kid to grow up in is very competitive. There's a lot of pressures from like the educational system and just like life in general. So I think they just wanted us to have like a freer and more sort of relaxed lifestyle. Um, my dad was a music producer. So I think he just wanted for us to have like a choice where we didn't have to like commit to like you know, going to international school and then like having to compete to then like become a lawyer or a yeah, doctor. Or, exactly. Because do you often or ever think about how different your life would be? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For like so such different. a kind of like creative person now. Yeah. Very, very different. I think growing up now as well, like even though my parents were definitely so much more relaxed than a lot of other Asian parents, I still definitely like rebelled against their sort of academic wishes. Like, you know, I dropped out of maths in year 10 and that was like a huge deal. And I really just like put my foot down and decided that I wanted to pick, you know, predominantly art and English sort of subjects. So I think having that, having like knowing that my dad came from a music background definitely allowed me to sort of explore more into like the arts Mm. and it kind of gave me that sort of confidence of knowing like okay well dad you're a music producer so this means that I can do x y and z Mm. you know it's actually a question I had for you of like what impact has he had on your creativity like did you have a lot of conversations about 
I guess, that more artistic way of life and how mm. to kind of like express that side of yourself because if it didn't come kind of naturally culturally, mm-hmm. it kind of feels like it would have to be almost kind of unpicked out of you in a way. Yeah. It's funny because I think growing up I didn't really have that many sort of like intimate conversations with dad directly about like creativity and stuff. I think it was more like instilled in us in the environment that we grew up in. Like we always like at home there was always music on like as soon as we came on, you know, like as soon as we came home from school there was always music. The first thing that we woke up to was music. Yeah, so and, nice. Yeah, and like both my parents would always make sure that we were very – I guess um, just we were exposed to like a lot of different sorts of cinema and like music and art. Like I don't think it was specifically like the relationship I have with my dad. I think it was both my parents. Like even though they always highlighted like the importance of like doing well in school, they made sure that we still had a lot of like extracurriculum things that we did. They definitely made that like – an importance I think you know mm. like I grew up dancing and like after school we'd always like go to art school or like I'd learn the piano like we were very like they wanted to make sure that even though that we had to do well in school that we still did well in other things and in other interests. Mm. Did you feel like in your like what are you now 26 you mm. were saying so let's say around we finished school at what, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you had an idea then that you would pursue a similar path to what you're on now? Or has this being a kind of creative director influencer type, has that been mm-hmm. quite surprising to you? Um, I knew from very early on, like I think I was maybe 15, because I had that sort of like arts background because I was a dancer and like I studied art and I was very passionate about like photography and film, I knew that I wanted to be in a creative industry. Um, And it wasn't until I was 17. I think the best thing about sort of my relationship with my mum was she was always like, you know, I grew up in an environment where it was like all about tough love. But when I told her I wanted to work in fashion, she like did take it quite seriously and she was like okay like you want to work in fashion so these are the things you have to do like you know we're going to take you to go to these schools so you can go to orientation so you can get more of like a grasp of what the reality of being in fashion is so from there I was able to intern a lot from the age of 16 interned in magazines and assisted for stylists and things so I think from very early on I knew I wanted to work in fashion and I kind of knew like the reality of like the hard work you have to put Involved. in to be in like any creative industry. I think this is interesting because, you know, so many young people today, mm. I've been reading a lot about this. Being an influencer is a career path. It's like, yeah. I want to be a YouTube star. I want to have my own show. I want to have mm. an Instagram following. So it's an interesting conversation for us to have that there's a lot of preparation that went into, like you didn't just kind of like fall into it, start an Instagram and Mm -hmm. then took, you know, good pics and people start following you. It's actually kind of more strategic than that, that I think what people may think. There's definitely influencers who did just Mm -hmm. literally kind of more landed in their lap, but it sounds like you were very informed yeah I think I was just always really realistic like I had my blog when I was 16 but I always knew that it was just something I wanted to do like out of like a hobby and like when I did start my blog 
um, you know, you had like Nicole Bourne and like Rumi Neely and stuff and that was sort of like the very beginning. But I was always like, okay, but like how how is this like a reality of them like, you know, committing to like this thing that was like so foreign? Mm. Um, but I think nowadays like because people always ask me like, you know, what sort of advice you have to like the younger generation who do want to just solely like focus on being like an influencer or whatever like I think it's so important to just like have other experiences in other jobs and actually like go work in like you know go work in retail go work in like hospitality go work in like the service industry and like put you like put yourself into those situations where you experience like other things and not just like focusing on like oh, I'm going to become an influencer and, this like, is huge. be famous. And, like, that's, like, not the pinnacle of, like, you know. No. And it's, like, it's much harder to achieve, I think, the level of success. Everyone has their own definition of that. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to achieve, to earn a, a living, a proper living, off it now than, it's like, when yeah. you said, like, Rumi Neely, I just remember, like, those were the days, weren't they, yeah. where it was, like, there was a handful of girls yeah. That were doing it so well. And that's what was special about it was there mm-hmm. wasn't many. Totally. But now it's kind of like, and maybe this is a question for you, like mm-hmm. how do we define influence today? Because I think taking really beautiful photos and uploading them to Instagram, it's not enough anymore from no. my perspective. No, yeah. I agree with that. Mm. I think it's sort of like that thing where it's like, you know, because it's such an appeal to the younger generation where they're like, I think for me it's like how do you expect yourself to influence other people or just be put on this platform? I'm not like, I don't want to like doubt anyone's age, but it's like how do you expect to like be this person to have like a voice online when you don't even really know like who you are or when you haven't even had like the work experience or like if you haven't worked under someone else or like, you know, like just like those things that you're supposed to learn. I think like even I always used to say like two years ago, like when I was sort of like um, I guess establishing like my work a lot more as a creative, I used to always say like I used to always doubt myself and be like, okay, like I want to be a creative director but then like I've never worked under a creative director before. So it's like how can you define yourself as something if mm. you haven't had that experience previously? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think coming back to what you were saying. Yeah, about, about like, and this is interesting, like I asked what is influence and you're like how can you influence if you haven't had enough experience to have an yeah. opinion? Yeah, and also yeah. like. And also just, like, an opinion of, like, I mean, not even opinion, but, like, how you perceive the world, do you know what I mean? Like, I think in some ways I was lucky because when I did gain a following on Instagram, I was still quite young. I was, like, 18, 19. So then my audience were a lot younger than me. And I think back then it was so much more different because now because there are, like, you know, the market is so saturated with, like, all these influencers and, like, all these people who, like, are good looking or, like, take beautiful photos and stuff, but it's, like, not really about that anymore. It's, like, it's so much more about, like, what your voice is and, like, what story you have to share. Mm -hmm. And also just, like, that point of difference. It's, like, what else can you offer? 
In terms of value. Yeah. And this that's so important. Like I've been like 2020, I developed a true relationship with privacy because yeah. I just realized I was like, your life is becoming content. Totally. And so where is the line in that if I want to keep doing this work and I want to keep offline going, I need to focus on leading through my expertise mm-hmm. versus um, this is my hair or getting my hair cut or I'm wearing this or like here's Tony and I at home and and like what impact is showing my private life having on my private life Yeah, because he's so private. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think about him as I, I just thought it was like funny that I'd like put him on Instagram and he hated it. And everyone was like, oh, it's so funny. Tony yeah. hates him. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and then one day he was like, I need you to stop. And I was like, oh, seriously? <laughs> like, you know, but, um, but 2020 was such an interesting year for me. I had so many things going on and mm-hmm. I think it'll already be out because I've spoken about it in an episode, but my beautiful mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and we lost another baby. And I kind of was like, looking or being on Instagram going like, this is fucked. And I don't feel like I have anything to authentically contribute when all this stuff's going on, but I don't want to contribute this stuff because I'm not, I haven't processed it myself. How are you thinking about perhaps privacy in the beginning? I feel like it didn't really exist because we were just like content, content, content Yeah. versus now in your mid twenties, thinking about, you know, moving into your thirties and carrying on with your life. Do you have like clearer boundaries in place? Yeah, I feel like I definitely have clear boundaries of my privacy on Instagram. Like I really do treat it as my workplace, even though people do connect with me on like a personal level. I think I've always found that I think I think I've always been quite I don't want to say strategic because everything I've sort of done has been quite like organic, but I think the more sort of creative work that I've done, it is more of like a platform where I just sort of show like my creative side. But then in saying that, like I also still want to make sure that I'm showing enough where my audience can still connect and sort of see like the process behind how I do things. Mm, but how do you strike that balance? Is it just a feeling of knowing what's enough? I think for me now, like I've noticed that like when I have a really good time with my friends or like when I'm having a really just like good day to myself where I'm really present with the people around me, I notice that like I don't even pick up my phone now mm. to the point where I'm like, damn, like I wish I took some more photos because I want to have those memories for later, you know? So that's got to be a positive thing. No, it's super positive. But I think I've just come to a point now where I'm like, I think because we are on social media so much now, I'm just kind of a bit over it. Like I really do value like the time I have when I'm offline. There's an aversion for sure. I feel like we're all, this is interesting for our industry. Like if we're getting over it. Yeah, I always wonder that. What does that mean for influencing but I also actually want to ask you a question. So obviously, like, you're going to be a mother soon. Yeah, very soon. <laughs> Maybe today. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about, because you were just saying, obviously, you were sharing a lot of photos, like, of Tony. How do you feel about that 
with share, like with mothers who share so much mm. of their child. It's so interesting. Um, and I guess I can only speak on behalf of the decisions I believe I'm going to make. I kept the pregnancy private yeah. because I was petrified. It was, mm-hmm. it was more from a place of anticipation, anxiety yeah. than it was anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been thinking a lot about her choices. Yeah. Like when she's 18, she's going to hear this conversation. She can yeah. hear this conversation. Yeah. So this big realisation that everything I put on the internet is going to be consumed by my child. And so what happens if she gets to 18 and she's like this sweet, shy, bookish woman who doesn't like social media but I've mm-hmm. plastered her all over Yeah, my podcast and my Instagram and I've shared my birth story about how she came into the world. Like yeah. that's hers I think so I don't think totally. I'm going to share about the birth either. So I've been observing other mums um, with the intention to learn of like how much are you sharing, what kind of triggers me when you share because that means mm-hmm. that I'm definitely not going to do that. The ones who I feel like have a really great balance of this person exists in my life and it's a really big part of me but it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. I think I'm very conscious of like, you know, we're in the business of building digital brands. Yeah. I don't want to become like a mum influencer and I can see how quickly it can turn that way because it's such an engaged community. Totally. And it's also like easy because people, your audience have obviously connected with you so much. So it's like you would also kind of take on like a role or like kind of responsibility of like, okay, well, I also need to share like this journey. Yeah. And I feel like Tony and I spoke so much about it last year I felt like a little bit dishonest, like I was withholding because I wasn't sharing and have a lot of beautiful listeners who will DM me and say, thinking of you on like Mother's Day or Mm. whatever, knowing that we were trying. And I wanted to be like, I'm pregnant. (laughs) But at the same time, I was like, I can't handle the, not the judgment, but the unsolicited advice. Mm. And because I've made particular choices, I need to feel strong in those choices, not question myself if someone's like what why are you giving her that or why are you using that or why did you choose that for your birth I just wanted to be in my own kind of bubble but there's a feeling of like am I being genuine if I've given so much and now I'm like no Mm. and then what does that do to my business as well I've been thinking a lot about that but I think where I've arrived is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use my personal life as currency to yeah. grow my brand. Yeah, 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 I agree with that. No, I completely agree with that. I think coming back onto like the privacy thing as well, like you were saying, I've definitely been able to, I mean, I think it's incredible that we've been able to, like we've been given this platform to have a voice and to have like another dimension so we're not just like these people that you don't know anything about. But I think I've also been able to separate, I guess, me as like a talent and then just like me as like me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know. It does. Well, one question I had for you was like Yan Yan Chan is a brand, which is kind of what you're alluding to as talent. You did say before, I don't want to sound strategic because it has been organic. Mm -hmm. Have you put really any or how much thought have you put into 
becoming like an architect of, and I think that that's fair to say because I feel the same way about myself. There's a certain way we want to be perceived yeah, based on the types of opportunities that we want and the way that we want to influence as well. Mm-hmm. So how planned is your brand, if at all? Okay, so as a brand, I think it's definitely strategic with who I let in in terms of brands and who I work with. That's definitely strategic because obviously I want to convey my ethics and what I believe in and I want those ethics to align with the brand that I'm working with. So there's definitely a strategy to that. But I think when it comes down to actually doing the creative, that's I think where all the sort of like the organic creativity and like thought and everything gets put in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Well then. So I think, yeah, from like a yeah. business point of view, it's strategic, but then when it comes to creating and like. That's real. Yeah. Just... Everything, all of that. I always make sure that it's just as authentic as it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, um, sitting down as part of Offline's Self-Care Sundays mini-series mm-hmm. in partnership with Estee Lauder. Um, one of the things that we're exploring as a continuation of the other seasons is confidence and the word confidence, the concept of confidence. But like what does it actually mean to women and what does having more of it help us to achieve? Can we talk about confidence through the lens of creativity because I don't know many creatives who truly feel confident about their art and it's this funny thing because you're really celebrated for what you do but is there a connection and belief that it's as good as what other people think it is for you? Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make completely sense because kind of what I was saying to before how I separate myself as a talent and then also as myself, I feel like a lot of the times I do that in a way to protect myself Mm. if that makes sense um and I also think it's I think it's hard as well when you're like an artist or a writer or like a creative you're constantly putting work out there for an audience to see and then for you as like a creator you're also constantly comparing yourself to your old work Mm. because you're always in a position where you're like okay I've created this great project now the next thing I have to do has to be even better than the last so I think I think the confidence and like backing myself has definitely been something that I've struggled with a lot over the last three years especially now like I guess the influencing space is so competitive Mm -hmm. it is definitely hard to not measure your success through numbers and like engagement and like all that sort of stuff with other people who are in the same situation. Yeah. Um, so I think I think this past year I've definitely have had to, I guess, go through a lot of ups and downs um, and definitely like I think it's definitely hard as well because it's like, you know, you get all this praise but then – it's not as easy as it kind of looks. I always talk about this. It's like <laughs> that thing that gets uploaded 
Yeah. It's almost like, a shame when you upload because you're yeah, like, oh, it's, it's five like, seconds. Yeah. And it's like you put so much work and like soul and like passion into like this one photo that people just will look for at for two seconds and then they'll like and then it's like, you know, you're on to the next one. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the past year I've really had to just go through some blows and like definitely have gone through like some self-loathing to have come out of that and then to have really just look back on my work and sort of, I guess, figure out like, I think it's always like going back to the drawing board where you're like, okay, like why did I actually start? what I started or like why creatively like what has always driven me. Are you saying you feel like you got a bit lost? Yes. And this has been, it was a year of returning to purpose. Yes, yeah. definitely. I think again when before we started today you were kind of saying like how you kind of dealt with your anxiety when you like used to travel a lot. I think I, I wasn't necessarily dealing with anxiety, but I was feeling lost for such a long time that like the travel and like, you know, going the fashion weeks and like meeting all these incredible creatives and like designers and stuff was definitely like a distraction. So I think the last year has really been about like figuring out like who I actually am as a person, who I can allow myself to be when I am in friendships and how that sort of has allowed me to become like who I am authentically. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. any space between like with your friendships, who you are online versus who you are in person? Like, is there any expectation that you'll show up as Yan Yan Chan, the brand I've always wondered that or like Mm. when you're with your friends, is it like Instagram, like your following doesn't exist and you're just this regular person or is there an awareness that your talent, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, It's funny because in a lot of ways, like, again, it's kind of like this whole self-discovery thing that I've been going through the past year. I have kind of struggled to feel genuinely myself sometimes in my friendship circles. Like I sometimes feel more confident in the person I project out online than who I actually am Mm. in a friendship circle. And I think a lot of the past year has also been about, um, I guess, figuring out like the sort of cultural differences as to how I was brought up and like how my friends were brought up and what those cultural differences are and why I guess I've been a lot more introverted in my friendship circle than I normally am, like, as a person. Mm. So I think it's also, like, back to the confidence thing, I think it's about delving into, like, who I actually am and, like, what I actually believe in and, like, what my values are and, like, what I can actually offer Mm. as, like, a friend. How... How have you done that work? What does that self-work look like? Um, Well, (laughs) I definitely, I think the last time I saw you, I was definitely coming out of like a minor sort of like depression. I could tell there was something about the quality of your energy that day. It wasn't 100%. Yeah. And I think I had been feeling like that for such a long time. 
And I think, I guess like the self-work that I've been doing, I have been, you know, like I'm really into seeing my therapist. I see her once a week. I do a lot of like um, sessions with a healer that I see as well, who's based in Byron. So a lot of that has sort of given me like that confidence of figuring out like who I am as like a woman Mm. and also who I am as like a Chinese Australian and just sort of like finding my voice, I guess. Mm. I don't know, delving back into that confidence thing. I think it's been such a, last year was such a big year for me to sort of find that voice, not just like online, but like. For yourself. Yeah, for myself and around the people I call my friends. Mm. I've been talking a lot about 2020 and COVID as a whole. I think we've all experienced it in ways that's relevant to our evolution. And Mm -hmm. so for some people that's meant incredible hardship and job losses and, you know, working from home, parenting from home, all of these stresses. For other people, it's been more introspective where it's like in our industry, the work was just taken away Mm -hmm. for most of the year. And so then you're kind of sitting at home on your own when you're usually on a plane yeah. To your point, distracted from all of your shit because, mm. you know, you've got to go and do this job. So it sounds like 2020, um, it sounds like it was a bit of a gift of a year to you because would you have had the opportunity to heal if you hadn't been given or read the right act to stop, I guess, because you had mm. no choice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, it's... I mean, I'm still, I feel like I'm still definitely like healing from a lot of things, but yeah, I think it definitely was a big year of healing for me, especially because I feel like for such a long time, I always felt inadequate because of like my upbringing. I think, you know, I went to school in the Eastern suburbs, so predominantly all of my friends were white and I was always like the whitewashed Asian. Mm. And even now, like a my group of friends, like they are all predominantly white Australian. And I think for a really long time, I just thought that I had to like be this person because all my friends had grown up in Australia and like they had all these like, you know, family, like um, not even like family, like just like. Privilege. Yeah, privilege. And so I always felt like inadequate in a way where like even in like, for example, in like a group conversation situation, I never felt like, I think I just never felt like I was enough to like even like speak up about something. I always felt like, you know, when there was a chance that like the group was silent, I was able to like quickly speak about something so that I could get my thoughts out because I always felt like someone else would speak over me. Mm. So I think a lot of the confidence that I had to work in, that I had to really work out figure out the last year had to do with like that sort of personal confidence of like really owning my voice and then creatively it just sort of then went hand in hand. I guess it just flows directly into your profession doesn't it because I guess I can only assume the strength you get from having a deeper relationship with self brings a depth to your work and a confidence to your work that perhaps wasn't there before. It's such an interesting thing. I actually had a question for you that I didn't ask at the beginning. How do you proactively um, deepen your relationship with your culture? Like what does that look like living in Australia, especially now that you can't travel back? Mm -hmm. 
I think it's, I mean, it's about prioritizing, prioritizing your own relationship with your culture. Like, for example, like I've made a promise to myself that, you know, once a week I'm going to have Chinese lessons. That's my way of connecting back with my culture because I'm able to use that language frequently and like be able to that I guess like be able to connect with like my grandparents who are overseas and who can't speak English you know I think language is a big thing I think taking time out to sort of like check myself like especially if I've been hanging out with a lot of my friends I really need to take the time to just be by myself and just check in with like okay like I guess it's like yeah it is like checking my privilege I mm. think as like an Australian Chinese mm-hmm. I think it's constantly checking back in with that checking in with just the relationship that my parents had with society when they first moved here as well and and honoring that I guess yeah and constantly honoring that and I think that's why in finding my voice I feel like I'm honoring them because I'm standing up for what I believe in and like my values and like where they've come from to get here. That's so beautiful. Where does Nathan fit into that through the lens of the self-work and the personal evolution that you're going through? I know when I really started to look inward, it was really hard for Tony to play a role. And I think he was a bit confused as to where he fit and I was like, it's not about you. Yeah, so, it's about me. <laughs> yeah. And so you don't need to participate. Totally. I just need the space and time. And I'm not, I think he, um, again, he's private, so I don't want to share too much, but I think he was worried I was like going somewhere. Yeah. I think he I thought was- <laughs> I was going to like move to India yeah. and sit on a mountain and not come back. But it wasn't that at all. It, it, I never thought about him. I was just about myself. I was like, that's all good actually but don't worry about me. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I actually went through this exact same thing in the middle of COVID. Like Nathan, I'm pretty sure he was convinced that we were going to break up. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was convinced as well at one stage, but like, yeah, it's so funny because like when you are in a relationship, it is really hard because it's like, well, you are also going through the self-discovery thing where it's like you do have to prioritize yourself. So I think for a really long time it was really hard for Nath because I think for so long as well, like you would understand in a relationship you do prioritise the other person and it's like you're a team and then like all of a sudden you're like, but wait, like this is about me and like this is about me growing as the person that I need to grow into and like I don't you can't really be a part of no, that. No, that's not a team, that's <laughs> yeah, not a team situation. It's, it's not a team situation. Yeah. So it was really hard, you know. We we did have to like sit down and I really did have to like tell him exactly what I just told you pretty much. Mm. And luckily, Nath, you know, because of our age difference, I think even though it was really hard for him, he did come to a point where he did understand like, okay, like I just have to sit here on the sidelines and – maybe focus on myself for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think having a therapist guide me through that really helped. I think especially in the way that you convey that through like tone of voice and like messaging. So you're not like. Just the language. Yeah, it's so much about the language. 
and landing the language, especially when those intense conversations come up, I found that they can go wrong pretty quick. So quickly, especially when you use like I I, and you, like everything has to be neutral. Exactly. And I've observed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it was like, I knew Tony wasn't going to go to therapy. Yeah. He still may one day. I don't know. He's a pretty like knockabout guy though. Okay. You know, and he doesn't really like to delve too deep into stuff. Like he's been through some really traumatic stuff and I'm Mm -hmm. like, you need to get that out of your Unleash physical that. Yeah, out totally. of your body, out of your emotional, you know, DNA. Um, but he's just such a happy guy. And so did you feel a sense of responsibility the same way I did is that you've got to kind of carry it for the couple because you're the one that is evolving so rapidly and not in a sort of way that they're not necessarily, but because you've got the tools, you go into therapy, you're doing the work, you kind of have to like guide them through, which I found exhausting because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm trying to do my own self-work, but I'm also feel like I'm semi, you know, bringing mm-hmm. you through as well. I think in a lot of ways I did turn into like a bit of a recluse. Like there would literally be days where I'd be like, I, I'm just going to go upstairs and like be on my own for a while I think luckily like Nath is quite like in tune with his feminine side and he does love delving deep and like talking about feelings and like it's so funny because back to like the confidence thing I think it wasn't until I met Nath that I did really become comfortable in who I was as like a person Mm. even though I was like a little girl when I met him he actually really did allow me and like gave me the space for me to become like a confident woman who was like who I felt confident and comfortable enough to like be able to say, hey, Nath, like this month, like it's all about me. Like I'm sorry, like I can't make room for, Mm. you know. Go busy yourself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think Mm. thinking back on that as well, like he definitely has given me a lot of like the confidence that I needed to be able to um, just um, to be able to, I guess, even like vocalise how I felt. Mm-hmm. Space to speak. Yeah. I remember a close friend of ours who said a speech at our wedding. On, I don't really remember much of the day, but I remember she said she remembers the day that I began to see myself the same way Tony saw me. Yes. Oh it my makes God. me okay. really emotional. Oh, my God. It could be the pregnancy yes. hormones. No. But that was it. That was the resonance for me is like totally. I saw what he saw and 100%. he gave me that pathway in. Yeah. Ariana Grande point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like listening to that song, I'm just like it literally gave me an epiphany. I was like, wow, like I'm so lucky to be in a relationship where my partner, because in her lyrics she says, um, uh, she says, she goes, she basically says, I want to love me the way that you love me. Mm. I want to see myself. Uh, she goes, I want to. You have to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> she just goes, I want to love you the way you love me. Um, oh, I want to pull the lyrics out. 
You can if you want. (laughs) Hey guys, I want to love me the way that you love me for all my pretty and for all of my ugly. I'd love to see me from your point of view. I want to trust me the way that you trust me because nobody ever loves me like the way you do. This is it. This is it. And this is what I feel like that in a nutshell is how I think about a healthy relationship. 100%. It's never going to be amazing 100% of the time. No. But if it comes from that place of mutual respect and trust, but that if you're with a man or a woman or whoever you choose to be with, that opens that part of you, Mm -hmm. oh, my God. Yeah. You can, I feel like you can survive anything. Totally. And yeah. that comes back to with like the creativity thing as well. It's like it is so important for you to be in a healthy relationship with your partner but also with your friends because at the end of the day, if you don't have those healthy relationships, those are the things that will hold your creativity back. Mm, this is such an interesting point of view. Yeah. Like if you're not feeling fully expressed in your personal life, how do you expect to express yourself Creatively. Creatively. Yeah. I just think the two and two go in hand, like so, like just it's so important. Mm. And I think, again, that's why when you were asking me about, you know, confidence and like how I sort of create, it's like it really is just so dependent. I don't want to say like dependent, but like it kind of is so like influenced by your environment and like who you surround yourself with. I think also like in our industry, it is so like collaborative as well. So it's like you need to like nurture those relationships with the people around you in your personal life to then be able to like do that with the people that you work with. Mm. Well, can we talk a bit about that? Because I get asked about that a lot in my personal coaching sessions about developing relationships with clients and brands. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about that? Because I feel like we all started out just kind of winging it, but you learn pretty quickly what it means to have executive presence and what it means to be a businesswoman, even though for you, you're doing the deal, but you're also showing up and it's your face in it a lot of the time as well. What have you learned about relationship building and how to show up professionally? Like what are the expectations in our industry? It's been an interesting one with like the presence. I think, I feel like you would have spoken about this as well. I think it's like, on a personal level, I feel like it's definitely been challenging trying to balance like the masculine and feminine on like what you bring on set and like what you bring into a meeting. Um, I think obviously when you work for yourself, you still need to like show up on set and have like that sort of not like authority figure but kind of like that presence of like, okay, like wait, am I like mm. – is that does that make sense? It does. I'm trying to figure out how to um I guess for me, obviously like nurturing those relationships is super important, but I think it's about like obviously showing up and being like that businesswoman and having like being assertive and knowing exactly what you want, but still honing in on your feminine energy mm. and being able to still be soft and like still create those relationships where it's still I don't want to say like um like 
a personal relationship because there still needs to be like a boundary. It's hard, that But yeah, there hard. just needs to be that sort of balance between like a friendship and then also like a work relationship. Mm. I think the thing about like being working in a creative industry, it's like you do need to have both those things. And we as the creator who's getting engaged in the job by a client, mm-hmm. again, I go back to what we have to hold for people because – I think that's our responsibility to draw the line. Yeah. And where I've seen it go wrong pretty quickly is where talent or creatives, that line between what is professional and what is personal gets very blurred. Yes. And then you kind of lose your opportunity to negotiate. Yeah. um, To change direction with a client as well. Mm -hmm. But um, but do you find that hard striking that balance? Because I think in our industry, especially in women's, it's very chummy, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's all about going out for the drinks and the dinners and you go on the press trips together. And when you're with a marketing director in New York at a nightclub, do you know yeah. what I mean? It just tends to go a certain way and then you totally. wake up the next morning going like, oh, my God, what did I say? <laughs> yeah. I do. I think it is, again, about the masculinity and the fem- like masculine and feminine. Like I know, for example, now like with my assistant, I – I do certain things like for example when I'm on set I tend I've noticed like my voice like I'll speak a little bit lower and I'm a lot more assertive but then as soon as like for example we wrap a photo shoot I'll always be like hey like blah 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 like how how was your day like how did you feel we went like what were you know what were your thoughts like very like I always make sure that I'm asking them the questions whereas for example when I'm on set I'm very like okay like can you please do this can you make sure that x y and z is done I feel like using like differentiating like the tone Mm. of voice and also like how you use like certain again it's kind of like the relationship thing like using the right Language. language I think has made a huge difference mm. and it's the same with like when you're meeting with clients it's like there are definitely moments when you are in like that work like okay I'm gonna do x y and z the professionalism but then like I still think you're able to like be a bit more relaxed and like go have those drinks yeah and like go connect with your client because I think at the end of the day that's super important in like a creative industry like the networking side of it the networking side of it but also like when you're working collaboratively and like creatively with a group of people like you want to be able to connect with the people on your team on like a personal level as well Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day like you're trying to tell a story and like you can't really tell a story if you're just working with people that you don't really know yeah. On a personal level either. What advice would you have for, like, to go back to anyone who wants to m- shift their career into having influence and being an influencer, however we define that today? Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for, like, that proactive client outreach? Because in the beginning, like I always say, I do a lot of proactive work, you know, yeah. and it doesn't just land in your lap all the no. time. So what advice would you have for anyone starting out that how how do you approach clients and sort of like negotiate? I know you have representation, which is different, but I guess in those early days you're having to go and hunt and gather a bit. I honestly think it's about, I think for me it was a little different because I already had that sort of experience prior to being working for myself I'd already had worked I was working I was 
I did a lot of internships in PR companies. So I think from having like that PR background, I was able to see how other people were able to network. But I think it's just showing up, like you really have to meet people in person um, and you really have to collaborate with, I guess you just have to be open to collaborating as well. Mm. I think that's one of the most important things. Like what's in it for them? For the client, I mean, like. I think it's going to the client and offering, not offering, sorry, um, going to the client and I guess giving them an opportunity of to see what you can offer and what you can put on the table. Because at the end of the day, like people are open to your ideas and your suggestions. So I think it's like doing the research of like what you want to do and putting in like the research and the time and then being able to present that to a client because clients always appreciate what you have and like your ideas because the client ultimately is working on like 10 other different things. So I think it's really important to have an idea and sort of go to them with the idea and present it to them and and not be afraid. Yeah. And not be afraid to just Mm. do it. I know. Well, this is the confidence thing again, because it's hard to put our ideas out there. It's hard to go to a client to say, I think I have a worthy idea and I think you should pay me this much money to do it. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of balls. Do you know what I think it also is? Like, I think just like reflecting back on all the work that I've done, I think you almost have to put yourself in a situation where you have to pretend that you're 19 again, because I feel like the way 19, well, the way I know that how I sort of pitched when I was 19, a lot of that also came with like being naive. And I think that's like an important element to have because I think when you're naive and you like don't know, like there's not as much fear that comes in. So then when you are pitching for something or when you go do and like when you go sit down and create this like vision that you have, there's nothing that's really stopping you because you don't know, you don't think that anything can go wrong. Mm. And so I think you really have to just, yeah, just pretend that you're pitching like a 19-year-old. That's really good advice because the older you get, it's just, you're so there's, right, there's the more, more aware you are yeah. and then the less you put yourself out there because you're like, this would be really embarrassing. But at 19, you're like, you think you know. Yeah, and you're not thinking about the consequences. No. You're just thinking about like, okay, I have this idea. It's great and I'm going to make it happen. And I think that was like a constant reminder that I had to tell myself this year that I really had to like go back into my 19-year-old self and just like not really like give a fuck about what other people think because Mm. at the end of the day, like other people aren't really that invested about what you think matters. I know. That's in, that's what's in our head. Yeah. When I don't always used to say this when I was leading, you know, I'd have one of the girls from the team say, oh, I didn't want you to think this or like when you didn't respond straight away, I thought this was happening. And every time I'd be like, I love you, but I never think about you. (laughs) I'm never thinking about you. No. I'm never thinking about your emails, about what time you sent it, about what words you used. So like move past that because it's very limiting for you to be wondering all the time, this kind of self-interrogation and analysis. 
yeah, but I just don't think about you ever yeah. <laughs> in that way. And also know? like everyone has a role to play and everyone's just focusing on their role and like doing their best job. So you should just do the same. Mm-hmm. I think again, like leading back to the confidence thing, like a lot of the times like faking that sort of confidence and like, you know how I was saying like pretending that you're like that 19-year-old self or like that 16-year-old self, like pretending that you've got that sort of confidence it actually does really help yeah (laughs) shake it till you make it yeah Yan and I have had such a beautiful conversation about confidence in all of its different forms made possible by offline's exclusive season partner Estee Lauder the brand's number one selling double wear foundation exists to help women wear confidence so I was keen to ask Yan for her advice when it comes to putting on and projecting her game face in important meetings. In some ways, I think we've been programmed to believe we shouldn't need makeup. But for me at least, it can often help me feel like the best version of myself. And when I feel like that, I do my best deals. I think makeup and fashion kind of go hand in hand in that way of like, you know, the presence and having that like confidence and showing up in a meeting and being really confident. I think, I definitely don't think makeup is like, if you're intending, like if the intention of like wearing makeup and putting on like an outfit that makes you feel super confident, like if the intention is to make you feel great, then like I'm completely all for that. Like I think makeup is such an amazing tool to like, I guess in a way make you feel like you're playing like a character in mm. some ways. Like I, that's how I love to use makeup in a lot of ways. Okay, so like before an important meeting, it's like those little things that you kind of tell yourself, okay, you've got this. Um, some tips I love to do, like this sounds really lame, but when I was going through like that sort of really low point um, in last, in the end of last year, I would do this thing every morning where I would stare at myself in the mirror and I would really have to stare at myself in the mirror so I like really saw myself and I, and I would stand there and I'd be like, I love you, you are great, you are confident, you are, you know, I'd tell myself these things that would really like hype me up. I love that. And I think it's kind of the same with like makeup. It's like you you are able to play like this other character. For example, like lipstick for me, like every time I put lipstick on I just feel like I can do and it's transformative it is transformative and I think that's what I was saying before with like the intention thing if you put that intention of like okay I'm gonna give myself this time in the morning to put this makeup on and like the intention for that is to help me exude more confidence and like I'm completely for that and I think that's the same with like fashion as well do you have any um little secret application tips with double wear we all wear it so different yes um I think when it comes to foundation I always make sure that my base is completely flawless I always make sure that I wear my A&R serum to make sure that I'm super hydrated and I always love mixing a few drops of that into my double wear foundation yeah I feel like that's the best way to do it that's the secret and the thing is like with A&R um, and we were talking about it even before we started recording. It's this like crazy tricked up product. Like 
I don't talk publicly about a lot of products mm. and in DM especially, I don't generally recommend much because we're all so different. It seems to be this universal serum yeah. that no matter who I get onto it, they're like, holy shit, that changed my skin, you know, and we're very privileged in that, you know, as friends of the brand, we have access to it. Mm-hmm. I ran out the other day. I went to Tony's stash. He'd run out and I was like, I'm going to David Jones <laughs> and buying this. I can't live without it. But mm-hmm. there's that perception that because it's advanced night repair, you wear it at nighttime. You wear it in the daytime But you wear too. it in the daytime under your foundation. Yes. Yeah. And in your foundation. And in your foundation. Yeah. That's why we go through so much of yeah. it. Um, I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. I wanted to talk about the future. I guess you've had a really significant 12 months on the self-development side. Our industry has also gone through huge changes in terms of what's acceptable Mm -hmm. online and what's expected of us as people, women with platforms. When you look down into, I guess, the barrel of 2021 now, like we're recording early in the year, what do you see for, I guess, perhaps even more Yan Yan Chan, the brand and your professional self and what you want to cultivate? Yeah. I think a big thing for me that I didn't really do before 2020 was probably have more of a voice and building more of like a community through sharing like Um, certain views and opinions on like the climate or like politics and things like that I think that's definitely something that I want to do more of Um, I think especially just with like the space of like digital and everything like moving into more of like a activist sort of direction I think I guess in terms of my own creative work, like I definitely want to create more, I guess, meaningful content where I can, I guess, where it enables me to tell more of a story. Share your opinion. Yeah, sharing my opinions, but also just like tell more of a story with like what's actually going on and like what we've also experienced in 2020, like with the pandemic. I think it's going to be interesting to see the material that comes out of it from like artists and directors and filmmakers and things like that with with what we've sort of just experienced in 2020 because it's yeah. like such a unique thing. It sounds to me like you're thinking more deeply about like say even when it comes to the climate and sustainability, what role you play as somebody who draws some of their income from mm-hmm. promoting new season collections. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be hard in any way for you to continue putting space between what you say yes to because of those views? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it has already played, has already come into play with who I work with now. Um, It's definitely also been quite like a, I guess I've also found it quite challenging in the way of like, you know, I do have a view on sustainability. I do care so deeply about the climate and I am aware of like what impact I have with the actions that I sort of take and also like share online um so I think that's definitely like a big thing that I want to 
work on this year as well. Mm. I think we're all going to have to say no a lot more than we say yes. And definitely, you know, the reality of that is um, a loss of income. Yes. So when it comes down to it, it does actually impact the bottom line of our businesses to say, you know, me 18 months ago, yeah, I would have taken that Mm -hmm. deal, but I can't today Yeah, because I've refined my value set. And that's pretty big for a business owner. I mean, you own a business, I own a business. To say no to revenue. That's also so much more. we all have to do it. 100%. But Mm. it's like, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it will be more fulfilling as well. But then also I think if the industry as a whole, if we do this together as a collective, it will change and shift the industry in a different direction where it is more sustainable as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also talking back onto, I guess, influencing and like that whole industry, I think that's like definitely another big thing to think about. I think I think the next few years, like the like, I think it is just important to sort of figure out what your intention is when you are like wanting to be this influential person or like using that sort of platform. Like what, I guess, what. um, What are you going to say? What do you have to say? What do you have to say? But also like what are your actions, like what, what impact are your actions going to lead to? Like you really have to think about the consequences of what you're putting out there. This is big, taking yeah. responsibility yeah, for what taking we responsibility. create, you know, yeah. and there's been a decent amount of performative allyship, you know, happening on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think that's no secret. I've been, you know, listening with the intent to learn and learning so much about um, we can't necessarily be allies, but we can act in allyship because of our privilege. Mm. We can never be a true ally because we are yeah. fundamentally upholding white supremacy yeah. by existing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm what I'm really um, keen to see, and I hope that we see, especially from the Australian industry, is what action looks like. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of talk. Yeah, a lot of talk. A lot of great pictures and quotes and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, how we communicate the action is still unknown because that feels performative as well. Because mm-hmm. so much of what I know you do in your personal time and I do in my personal time, we're not talking about that publicly, yeah. but then shouldn't we? But then that part of you comes in that says, but is it going to look a certain way if I say who I'm donating to or who I'm volunteering with or, you know, what sort of like black Indigenous or person of colour creator I'm trying to uplift Mm -hmm. and promote. I I think very hard about that and I think probably too hard, honestly. But um but that I hope I hope we really feel and see fundamental change in Australia. I don't know if we will because there's an element of bravery. Mm. We traditionally haven't spoken very loudly, especially in women's lifestyle media. It's very safe. Yeah. Mm. I think the interesting thing with like, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to, like I don't 
know too much about well, it. Well, this is the thing. It's like we're scared to get yeah. it wrong. Yeah. Like, but like com- in comparison with what's happening in America and then like Australia, like there is definitely like that sort of unspoken thing and I think that's why if anything like it's like almost more of a problem because we just – I feel like Australians tend to just like brush under the rug like oh like everything's okay and like there hasn't been like that sort of like rev- like visceral re- yeah visceral yeah. like and like uproar of like yep. no this is wrong yeah but hopefully so, it comes yeah i'm hoping that it comes but we mm. definitely still have mm. a long way I think, to go yeah a lot of it will come off the back of us being brave enough to get it wrong yeah and, and to also, speak up mm. yeah and also like not even just like speaking up on instagram or like mm. social media it's like speaking up in your friendship circles mm. and again like drawing back to what we were speaking about earlier on in our conversations like that's one of the biggest things that i've been trying to be more brave about and be more courageous in speaking up about those conversations in my friendship group mm. which is polarizing yes you know to people who don't want to deal with it who don't want to who aren't ready to maybe listen yeah yeah and how much energy do you put towards that um i have a really incredible episode that will be out with um a spiritual activist called rachel ricketts okay um but i would direct everyone now to we fumbled our way through that obviously but she this is what she does is she's a racial justice advocate Mm -hmm. and that's who we need to be listening to and, you know, buy her course on spiritual activism because it changed my life. Um, I have a final question. Yes. I ask each (laughs) of my guests. (laughs) As you know, offline exists as an exploration of self and it's so beautiful to hear that you've just been doing that quite intensely for the last at least year, I guess. Um, When you're sitting in your true self, if you take away the big Instagram following and Yan Yan the brand – who are you and what comes up for you when I say that? I feel like you're going to have a good answer now. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, I think resilience, I don't know why like that word has come up. I think resilience is a big one. Um, and courage, mm. that also came up. Um, I get that from you today actually. Yeah. <laughs> and like so different to I know we didn't have long catching up the last time we saw each other. But there is a there is courage about you today that didn't exist mm. on that day. So It's funny because that day as well when I met you I was like shit like this was meant to be. Because I wasn't like I knew that I wasn't really in a good headspace like I was pretty, like, fragile. I was, like, really stressed about work and just, like, you know, coming out of this thing. But I knew I was, like, I just have to say yes to doing this podcast because I feel like by the time we do it, I'll be in a much better place. Mm, And look at you now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So courage and resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I wanted to share my intention for 2021. Can you please? Yeah, I had this really nice moment. I was in Byron. um, I was in the hinterland. And the sun was setting and we the, we had this big celebration at um, the house we were staying at. But I left the party and I was like standing on top of this hill and I looked out, the sun was setting. And I just, you know, I paid my respect to the elders 
And um, I just had like this time where I stood there and I looked at the sun and I like reflected back onto 2020 and sort of thanked the hardship that I went through and also the hardship that everyone else had to go through. And I just like kind of put my trust into like the land and I said my thanks. And then, yeah, 2020, no expectations for 2021. How good. Yeah, those are my intentions for the new year. So just to be in life in its totality without any attachment to an outcome. Yeah. (laughs) I am. It's so interesting you bring that up. I feel like mine's pretty similar. The word Mm -hmm. that I, I don't usually move around words for a year or anything, but just with what I'm going into in terms of motherhood, Mm -hmm. mine's just surrender. Mm. Like just let go, fall back. You yeah. can't plan this. You can't um, perform. Yeah. As a mum, like so much no. of my inclination is to want to be good at things. Yeah. And I think when you're doing this self-work, you also put a lot of expectations on yourself as a conscious person that I should be turning up to this better, mm-hmm. more conscious. Yeah. And so – I'm just, yeah, that's my, for, for me for 2021, it's just just fall back into the grace of who you are and let motherhood just have its way with you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. just let that's it really beautiful. be, you know, messy and disorganized and. And just raw, like as it is. You know. I think also like just with, you know, like surrendering and like the no expectations I think it's also just having that realisation that, like, you can't control anything in your life but, like, your happiness. That's, like, literally the only thing that you can control is, like... huge. Yeah. It's how you feel. Control is the fallacy, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for being on my podcast. Oh, my God, thank you for having me. I didn't even look at my questions. (laughs) That was really fun. There must have been so much on here I thought was, like, oh, it'd be so great to talk about all these things. But, um... I felt so comfortable. I'm glad. I'm glad. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.